Two Middle-Aged Men in Cleveland, episode 80, Mr. Klopp. How about that? 8-0. Jarvis Landry. Jarvis Landry. Also, Jim Marshall. Mm, he's running bit. the wrong way. He Jim played for the Marshall Browns. Is running the wrong way. He played for the Browns for one year. Did you know yeah, that? No, I did not. Before know. he went to the Purple People Eaters. Yeah. So. I uh, dare I also point out that Andre Ra- Bad Moon Rising wore uh, number 80. Yeah, Art Modell paid some big money for him out of his yeah, own Yeah, that may be one of the reasons why he had to move the team, but uh, there you that's go. a bigger conversation for another day. Well, we've had a lot of snow, as people know, so oh, I think we both have finally dug out. I know you had a heck of a time at your, at your driveway. I actually was being a man for others and helped our neighbors just because there was so much, but uh, are you finally done shoveling snow, or are you still shoveling? We have a uh, snow thrower that's got, um, you know, gears, but it, the snow is so tall and heavy. It just, it, uh, it took, took two hours, took two oh, hours to the driveway. My gosh. I did the driveway. I did the walk and I did the uh, little path in the sidewalk. That's crazy. So, wow. yeah, that's crazy. We did something interesting over the long weekend. We went to Detroit. Well, Ann Arbor for um, uh, hockey tournaments. Oh, cool. Both the, two of our kids played in a hockey tournament and they did pretty, they, they did pretty well. Neither team won their division, but they played well. They had fun, uh, good effort. I was, uh, it was, you know, it's always cool to see them give good effort and improve. And for me as a dad, one of the highlights of the weekend was um, the last game that my oldest son played uh, ended in a four-four tie, mm. and with some teams, we're doing high fives. With some teams, they just go to the blue line and bang their stick as a you know yeah. congratulations. The whole COVID thing, and it's kind of by team or whatever. So we're out there banging our sticks, and then we're all skating off the ice, and we all go the same way. And I called my son over, and uh, I told him I was really proud of him, and he made some great saves. And all of a sudden, there's this kid from the other team, and it's the goalie. And he says, hey, goalie, I just wanted to tell you, you played a really great game. Oh, wow. And I was like, whoa. And I said, hey, bud, you played a really great game, too. And this is great sportsmanship. I appreciate you coming over here. And I gave them both a hug. And then like three other kids from the other team came over and told uh, my son, uh, you know, good job in the goal. So as I was walking off, the coaches from the other team were behind us. And I said, you have some really good kids, you know, good sports, that kind of thing. That was, that was easily hockey wise, the highlight of the weekend for me, just seeing good sportsmanship among them. They don't know each other. There's no reason to do that other than they're good sports. That's so. what youth sports is supposed to be all about. Obviously yep. the competition, yep. but learning sportsmanship and how to act like a, like a yeah. good person. That's awesome. That makes you, yeah. that's got to make you feel really good. That's cool. Yeah. That's and then cool. Monday we went to the Henry Ford museum I've been there. That's uh, an awesome place. An amazing place. Uh, three highlights for me were um, they have the limousine that President Reagan was shoved into when he was shot. They have the um, limousine that uh, President Kennedy was shot in. And they have the chair from uh, Ford's Theater that Abraham Lincoln was shot in. And I was just kind of oh my gosh. Wow. at the 
level of national artifacts that this place in Detroit has, as opposed to being at like the Smithsonian or somewhere in Washington, D.C. Absolutely. It was really wow. Cool. Really cool. I didn't know that. That's it's yeah. been a long time since I've been there, but the amount of vehicles and all that kind of stuff that they have there, it's amazing. That, yeah. that is a really cool place and well done and great for kids too. They do a nice yeah. job. Well, how was your wall weekend? What did you do? Well, I can't hold a candle to any of the hockey or museums you had. I had a colonoscopy. So um, <laughs> I actually, we, at times I, I do listen, you know, sometimes when you ask me questions, I don't, but I do listen to our podcasts and I listen to some of our guests. So I remember the conversation we had with Dr. Terry O'Toole yeah. about the colonoscopies and that experience. And yeah, it's exactly as he talked about. It was a little rough. The funniest story about the whole thing, two things. One, I've never had anesthesia. Have you? Have oh, you ever been uh, knocked out? Yes, I have. Yes, I have. Yeah, it, it is. I didn't know what to expect. So I was a little bit nervous with the whole thing. So they prep you. They put the gown on you. You go in this area the doctor came out and basically they give you this anesthesia i was out in a matter of i think probably two minutes oh yeah oh and yeah then the next great. time i woke up i think well it seemed like two days later but it was like 20 minutes <laughs> when i wake up i don't know what i was dreaming about but i asked the nurse it was super nice i guess i came out of it and i guess i asked her what's the next nfl game you referee <laughs> yeah there's some she just says um you're you just got done with your procedure are you feeling okay <laughs> and i kind of came to i said yeah and i go what did i just ask you she goes well you're asking me when i'm gonna referee the next nfl game and i'm like okay well that's interesting i said you should be writing a book about things that people say when they come uh, come out of anesthesia oh yeah you can only imagine so yeah. that was uh that was the funny thing. Everything went well. I, I don't think I have any issues as far as I know, uh, besides with my head, but the colon's good. So we're, colon's we're good, good to go, okay. Mr. Klopp. This was amazing because I talked to you before this procedure. How long did you have to not eat? Because I have an appointment to see a doctor to yeah. schedule a colonoscopy, but I have not had one yet. How long did you not have to have to do nothing but water? Well, eight o'clock the morning before was the last time I could eat. And I was able to have a banana and a piece of toast. So okay. eight o'clock the day before all the way until my procedure, which is at one, the next day I was on a clear diet. So, so that's 29 broth. hours yes. of no food. Correct. Yes. Wow. And mm. you're uh, and you have no food and you are just to try to say it nicely. You're cleared out. I can imagine. I'll just uh, two words, go lightly. But it's an important thing. And yep. as we've talked about before, we have to do it just to yep. make sure everything's okay. Absolutely. Well, coming up uh, still to come on this show, a new segment. We're going to talk with Jen Brazdovich from Destination Cleveland about things coming up in the Cleveland area to put on our Cleveland calendar. Bob Ginsburg from the Netflix series Surviving Death is here. It's going to talk about mediums and life after death. And this week in Cleveland sports, Dusty Sloan will tell us about the Cleveland connection to the first ever NFL Pro Bowl. And in Klopp's clips, a woman gets stuck with a blind date during a COVID quarantine. That and more coming up. And now a woman's perspective. How do men define a 50-50 relationship? 
We cook, they eat. We clean, they dirty. We iron, they wrinkle. This has been A Woman's Perspective. Ted, we have some good news. Okay. At least one guy, 55-year-old Mike Luciano of Altoona, hit the Pennsylvania lottery for the fourth time. Let me repeat that, the fourth time. Yeah. He has won four major prizes. Major award. It's a major award. Major. In 1999, he won 100 grand on a cash five drawing. In 2016, he hit for three million from a scratch off ticket. In January of last year, he won a half a million dollars. And then last Thursday, he hit on a $20 scratch off ticket for a million dollars. Wow. That makes his lottery winnings total $4.6 million. Do you think I could? contact him and get him to pick a, a scratch off or a game or some numbers for me. I really think that's the guy to contact. Yeah. I mean, he's won the lottery four times. I actually remember there was somebody I went to school with in grade school whose family won the lottery twice. So wow. you can do it, but $4.6 million. Wow. Very yeah. impressive to Mike Luciano of Altoona. Congratulations to him. And Ted, that's some great news. Blah blah blah. 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 Our guest today is the founder of the Forever Family Foundation. He's also an author, having written The Medium Explosion, and he's currently featured on a Netflix series called it's a docu-series called uh, Surviving death. This is going to be a killer interview, I'm sure. <clears throat> so let's talk with Bob Ginsburg. And Bob, thanks for your time. Uh, why the interest in uh, death and afterlife, surviving death? Where did that come from? Well, you know, if we if we go back in time 20 years ago, I thought the topic was absurd because I said, <laughs> you know, if you what could possibly survive, you know, death? I mean, where our physical bodies, our brains produce consciousness and when our physical body dies, we're gone forever and that's it. Um, so I, I considered myself to be a uh, materialist left brain thinker. Uh, then my daughter passed away and. I started to explore um, and I, the reason I started to explore is that my wife had a premonition or a vision mm. you know, that some, of the accident that my daughter was involved with the day, the morning of the accident. And um, after coming out of a state of shock, I started to realize, wait a second, she knew and how did she know? So I started meeting with scientists and researchers and medical doctors across the United States that studied consciousness. And I wanted to find out if it's just wishful thinking or is it possible that something survived? And what would survive would be, you call it your mind or your consciousness or your soul, whatever you prefer, but something mm -hmm. separate from the physical brain. So, I mean, to answer your question, uh, I started this um, search as a result of, of, of loss that I suffered. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, this is a very interesting topic. I'm, I'm very happy that you're able to join us. Um, 
there's so many different questions I want to ask you. I guess the first is certainly with everything that you're talking about and what you're involved with, have you found a different, have you found a community of people that have also kind of searching for the different things you're looking for as well? Well, yeah, you know, we started the Forever Family Foundation in 2003, and today we have, you know, 12,000 members uh, worldwide, and the interest just keeps growing and growing and growing. I think there are several factors for that. I think in this age of the pandemic, people that never really thought about death before are starting to question their own mortality. Uh, some people are just curious, but the overwhelming majority of people that come to us are people like myself that have suffered various losses of, of friends and family members over the years. And they're looking for um, for something to hold on to, some, something that shows meaning or purpose to these physical lives. So is it possible, Bob, from your research to survive death? Do we survive death? Is something, some part of us survive that uh, we're able to still see the world? What have you found? Yeah, you know, uh, Ted, uh, it took me about four or five years. I mean, I, I even as I'm meeting with all these scientists and medical doctors, I kept rejecting their arguments because I just couldn't wrap my, my head around it. And I finally relented to the, uh, the sheer abundance of the evidence. So to answer your question, yes, now I firmly believe that our, our consciousness does survive a physical death. And why do I believe that? The evidence that was um, uh, produced from people that study near-death experiences, uh, deathbed visions, reincarnation, mediumship, after-death communications. It's easy to, to explain away, although I could give you the arguments to refute it, um, uh -huh. any one of the disciplines of research. But when you step back and you examine everything as a whole, you know, surviving our physical death seems to make the most logical sense. Bob, you talked about certainly getting into this because of your wife and obviously what happened to your daughter and all that. Have you had any individual experiences yourself that you can talk about? Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, there were, you know, after my daughter passed away, um, there were a credible, uh, very, um, actually, I'd say an incredible amount of these after death communications that kept taking place. And my wife, who was very intuitive and understood these things and had a spiritual knowledge to her, she would she would point all these things out and I kept dismissing them. So yes, there were many different communications that I was getting that I dismissed because it didn't fit into my frame of reference. I didn't believe in it. However, um, after my, my daughter passed away, you know, there's, there's such a thing called dream visitations. And the theory is that when we're, we're in this REM state uh, stage of sleep, that when the chatter mind is set aside, we, there's a conduit for discarnates to get through. I documented 74 dream visitations that I had from my deceased daughter. And, then, wow. and in these visitations, wow. I could talk to her in some of them. I could kiss her. I could hug her. We could have a conversation. I could smell her and the whole bit. They're very tactile. They stay with you, you know, different than a normal dream where I, when I have like what I call a regular dream, I can't remember it when I wake up. And th these are very powerful. Uh, there are other things that are... Um, for instance, if you watch the Netflix series, I gave Netflix a, uh, 
uh, a film clip uh, of uh, it was taken in our kitchen. My wife was filming it. We were talking about our daughter one day. We walk into the kitchen. We have nine hi-hats in the house we used to live in. And we were treated to this like July 4th, you know, uh, light show. You know, it was the, the lights just kept going on and off, on and off. It lasted about five minutes. It stopped. <laughs> I walked away, we came back, and then it went on for another five minutes. And, you know, the way I think, the first thing I did was look for a physical explanation. The very, at nine o'clock the next morning, I had an electrician in the house. I had him take down every single hi-hat and examine it. I had him take off the light switches, and he found absolutely nothing wrong. And nothing mm -hmm. like that had ever happened before, and nothing ever happened after that. And it was isolated to just that room. So that would be an example of... Um, you know, when these things occur, people like me, you first you have to rule out what you think are the physical explanations, and then it's easier to accept, you know, other things. I, there are countless stories. I mean, many of them I put in that book that you referenced, a medium explosion about um, incredible uh, things that happened to us. Uh, uh, I don't know if you have time. I could tell you a quick story. Sure. I had a, uh, sure. And, you know, when we moved from our uh, the last house that we lived in, my daughter was very upset because she had a million friends and she didn't want to switch schools. And so finally, um, she would ask my wife every month that we lived in a new house, take me back to my old house. I want to see my old room. Take me back. I want to see my old room. And of course, my wife would say it's not appropriate. We can't just knock on the door. We don't know these people. So fast forward after my daughter passes, um, uh, my wife had a first cousin who was at a wedding and the people that bought our home happened to be at the same wedding and, and they knew each other, uh, my wife's cousin and this, this person. And the person grabs my, uh, my wife's cousin and says, can I talk to you a minute? I said, yeah. I said, I have to tell you a story. My daughter, who had the same room that my daughter had, and she was uh, about 15 years old, came down one night and started, uh, was a little bit upset and started saying that she saw a vision of a young woman walk across room. Um, so the mother said, I explained to her that it was probably a bad dream. And, the, and the, the daughter said, no, it wasn't. I was awake. So she reassured her and they went, they went back to bed. The next morning, they were still sitting as a family together eating breakfast and the, the, the morning paper was there. And on the front page of the newspaper was the story of the accident that my son and daughter were involved in. Mm. Um, as it turned out, the vision that she saw of my daughter walking across the room occurred 15 minutes after my daughter's physical passing. So when, it was, so, so when I stopped back from that, I said, you know what, even though I wasn't, didn't really believe in any of the stuff at the time, I, you know, I, I stepped back and I said, wait a second, that's the one place that, you know, that she would go. That's the first place she would go. Cause every month she wanted to go back and back. And I was convinced that she did, you know, so you know, there are a lot of, of occurrences that happen similar to that. And after I, I would write them all down and after I examined like 20 of these things, each which with odds against chance of like a million to one, I had to relent and said, you know what? I believe. <laughs> sure. So wow. have you been able to, do you have any theory on why some people such as yourself experience these different communications, these different events with someone who has passed and other people don't they, they don't have any kind of experience like that yeah it's a good question uh people ask that a lot and 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 i don't have an answer to that i'd seen that some people um you know 
I don't know how true it is, but a lot of the people in the spiritual and even in the research community talk about vibratory levels and, uh, and frequency um, in different uh, dimensions. You know, the theory being that the next dimension, you know, is at a much higher frequency. And some people, for whatever reason, are able to, to kind of speed up their vibratory level and those on the other side would slow it down. Um, and, and that's like me mediums, for example, you know, how, why are they able to do it and not, you know, many other people, although, you know, some people can. So I, I don't have a, a real answer to that. You know, some people also seem get more of these signs and communications than others. Some people never get them. There could be a lot of reasons, physical, you know, grief or whatever you want to call it. But you are right that, that it's, um, I think we all have varying degrees of intuitive ability. But just like any other ability, some are more advanced, you know, than others. Mm -hmm. uh, my question for you, I mean, once again, very impressive, the different things you've done and obviously, uh, you know, certainly being involved with the, the next Netflix docuseries and all that. What's the next steps for you? Is there something else you'd like to research in this realm or is there something else you want to take a look at? What, what What's kind of on the horizon for you? Yeah, you know, well, there's, there's not a lot of new work that's being done. Uh, as a matter of fact, the, the, there was just an essay contest that a, a, a billionaire philanthropist, Bob Bigelow, ran, you know, and he, he had a million, 1.5 million in prizes to the people that would write the best essays, you know, about proof of an afterlife. And when I read through them, um, I didn't submit one, but when I read through what was there, it's kind of a rehash of all the existing evidence. So I believe that our job personally and in the foundation is just to educate people about the evidence. Just lay it out there. We don't try to convince anybody. Just We just want to stimulate um, thought and we want people to be, it, be able to share um, their personal experience with others. Don't keep it inside. You know, people are fearful, they're afraid of being judged or labeled or being crazy. Just tell people what you know, and they'll sure. get more into the mainstream, and maybe that'll stimulate more money putting into the scientific community, and we can isolate the mechanism that allows these communications. So we don't perform any research on our own. We're more of a, an education arm, um, uh, uh, an outreach, you know, program to, to let people do it. So I just keep... Uh, talking and encouraging people to sharing. I mean, that, that's what I do. <laughs> sure. That's great. Well, before we let you go, there is one other thing that I want to ask you about. You have a certification process for yeah. mediums. Tell us about this. So this well, is a I, way that, you know, if I want to get my, uh, you know, uh, try to commune with uh, someone in the afterlife there, you offer a certification where you can kind of say, uh, you know, Joe over here, he's legit, but Bob is, you know, using crazy lights and sound effects. Yeah. Um, in, in, in my book, I, I state that 85 to 90% of all the practicing mediums out there today cannot do what they claim. <laughs> it's not to say that they're all fraudulent. Some are, but they, some have a little bit of ability, but they don't have the ability on a consistent level to commune with, with the dead. So, um, yes, we developed in 2005, uh, and I was mentored by several leading scientists. I developed uh, my own uh, process by which we evaluate the evidence that a medium provides, conducted under controlled conditions. 90% of the me of mediums that go through the process don't gain certification. Hmm. The 10% 
um, that do are extraordinary. So, you know, we identify those, we put them up on our website, you know, foreverfamilyfoundation.org as, as, a, as a resource. That doesn't mean, um, you know, that these are the only mediums that could do it. It's just, these are the mediums that came to us for evaluation. You know, there's a lot of great mediums out there. We just haven't identified. Very good. Very interesting stuff, Bob. If folks want to learn more, you just mentioned the website. You could mention it one more time and any of the other ways that they can get involved in your group, uh, learn more. Where would the best, be the best places? Yeah, pretty much all the information is on foreverfamilyfoundation.org. If anybody wants to write to me personally, it's robert at foreverfamilyfoundation.org. I write a blog at beyondthefivesenses.com. And um, our uh, the book is called The Medium Explosion. Hmm. Wow. Well, very interesting. This is... Uh, <laughs> Uh, eye-opening to say the least. Uh, very interesting stuff. So thanks very much for your time, Bob. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks. Appreciate being there. All right, Ken, we have another overachiever, an artist from India, now in the Guinness Book of World Records for the largest drawing by an individual. 42-year-old Ravi Sani's drawing called the Tree of Life, covers 6,781 square feet. Wow. 6,781 square feet. Took him 24 hours and 33 minutes over five days to paint the giant PVC canvas. This breaks the previous record of 6,119 square feet set by an Italian artist in 2020. Apparently, this is a... a uh, somewhat competitive record I uh, was unaware of. I wonder, someone's going to go for the next one. I mean, yeah. what are you, you going to do? And where do you do this at, by the way? I, mean, I you got to find a big area. Yeah. 6,000 square feet. That's a lot. That is a uh, lot. I, I, I don't know where you'd find that much room in 24 hours. That's, uh, you know, that's at least three days of work. Uh, that's a lot for a world record. I hope he's able to set another record for selling that piece of art. But where are you going to display it? That's a great question. You have to can't, take a picture, of course. Really, I, I think that's temporary. Can't, can't really go on the wall. The other question is, when these people get this Guinness Book of World Records, after they get the Guinness Book of World Records, do they have a Guinness? I think they should. I would. Now, we'll have you, a Guinness form right now. If you, <laughs> I see that. If you, uh, so this Italian guy that got the record in 2020 and then uh, uh, the Indian gentleman or the gentleman from India uh, sets the record this year. Does the guy from Italy have to send his trophy back? How does that work? Because he's. I think there's multiple trophies and I think you I get see. to hold on to it. I don't okay. think there's any, any giving Not like it the back Stanley Cup. Like right. Unlike okay. it. No, it's, there's more than one is my guess. All right. Well, congratulations to Ravi Sunny, this week's overachiever. Time for the Cleveland Calendar, a new segment here on our show. And we thought we'd bring in an expert because Lord knows Ken and I are not an expert at anything. So joining us from Destination Cleveland is Jen Br Brazdovich, 
I think I got it right that time. I'm still practicing. Jen's shaking her head, so we're going to continue. So <laughs> tell me, Jen, this is how it goes. Destination Cleveland. I'm sure it has something to do with tourism and Cleveland is great, that kind of thing. But tell us a little bit about uh, Destination Cleveland and your role there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you're right. Cleveland is great. And and that's what we're, we're here to share. So Destination Cleveland is Northeast Ohio's destination management and marketing organization. Um, in short, what that means is we have the best job in the city because we get to share what makes Cleveland so unique, what makes Cleveland so amazing, and convince people to come and visit Cleveland and hopefully maybe want to live and work in Cleveland someday. Um, so our job is to get travelers, leisure travelers, business travelers to choose Cleveland. And then once they're here, we work to educate them on where they can go, what they can do, where they can eat, um, everything that they should see while they're in Cleveland. Um, and that has a direct impact on Clevelanders. You know, I know you guys are two middle-aged men in Cleveland, so you probably care about how this impacts you. Um, it infuses billions of dollars into our local economy here in Cuyahoga County, um, and it actually helps offset the tax burden for local Clevelanders. So um, another part of our job, what I love to do is educate residents about what there is to do in Cleveland, um, let them know what makes Cleveland a destination for visitors. So that when they have friends and family come and visit, um, they can really create an authentic Cleveland experience, create that best possible experience, and make sure that their friends and family want to come back and visit again and again. Sure. Jenny, you hit on two points I was going to ask you. First of all, you know, certainly want to welcome anybody that's from out of town and all that. But you talk about residents as well. I think there's many different venues and many different activities that go on in the Cleveland area that many people just don't even know about. Absolutely. Um, and that's what we're here to be a resource for, too. Um, I'll do an early plug for our website. This is cleveland.com. People have probably visited our website and didn't realize that we were destination Cleveland. Um, they associate us with those Cleveland script signs that you see around Cleveland. Um, that's something that's a destination Cleveland initiative. Um, but yeah, we're all about educating residents. Um, we want to keep them updated on what's happening here so that they can invite people to come and visit, attend some of these events, um, and also get out there and really support our local Cleveland economy. Are there uh, maybe one or two uh, hidden gems, places people might not be familiar with that you might say, well, when, when I'm not saying they have an event right now, but hey, when they do have an event, this is a unique place that you might want to consider that you might not know about. Yeah, so we have a ton of hidden gems here in Cleveland. Um, but one of the greatest things about Cleveland is that we really have something for everyone. So whether it's sports, culture, rock and roll, um, we've got it all here in Cleveland. Um, you know, we've got three professional sports teams. It's incredible. We're so lucky to have them here. Um, obviously, rock and roll, we've got the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but we also have some really incredible independent music venues. Um, these are places that we just love to celebrate year round and encourage people to check out a show there. Maybe you'll discover your new favorite band there and in 20 years, they might be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, and then culture, I mean, Clevelanders know we have such an incredible cultural scene here. You head over to the University Circle area. I mean, the museums that we have here, they're just absolutely world-class. Um, we're so lucky to have them here. So, so no matter what you're into, Cleveland definitely has something for everyone. And I know coming up soon here, Jen, I, I know obviously the Cleveland area was excited about the NFL draft. What a great experience that was. And we, I think, can have almost a similar experience with the NBA All-Star game coming up here very soon as well. Obviously, many people know about the game, but is there other activities that you know about besides the game itself that will be going on in the Cleveland area? Yeah, so we're just about a month out from the NBA All-Star Weekend. Um, it'll be here February 18th through 20th in Cleveland. We're thrilled to have this opportunity to showcase Cleveland on an international stage again. You know, 
we showed during the NFL draft that Cleveland knows how to uh, host a great event. We know how to party and we know how to do it safely, especially in the, the pandemic world that we're still living in now. Um, so in addition to the game, which like you said, you know, maybe a lot of people might not be able to attend the game. Um, there's going to be a ton of events happening in and around Cleveland. One of the biggest things for um, basketball fans is going to be the NBA crossover event. And that's kind of the fan festival that's happening all weekend long. Those tickets are available through the NBA events app right now. Um, but there's going to be a lot of other really cool things that the NBA is working with um, City of Cleveland, working with us, Destination Cleveland, Greater Cleveland Sports Commission. And we're really making sure that we can highlight that cross-section of um, arts, culture, and sports and kind of how it all ties together. Um, this year is really cool. They're going to have their first ever HBCU Classic. Um, that's going to be happening at the Wolstein Center that weekend. And that's going to be a matchup between Howard University and Morgan State University. Um, awesome. So it's the first year that they're doing this as part of the celebration. But we're thrilled to be able to host it here in Cleveland and really showcase um, what we have to offer here in Cleveland and show people we're a sports city um, and we're an amazing city to, to come and visit, whether you're a sports fan or, or you're looking for anything else. Are there any uh, non-basketball or non-sports events coming up soon that you might want to highlight here? Yeah, there's a ton happening this year. You know, um, 2022 is going to visit, are going to feature some really unique events for visitors, for, for residents. Um, we're really excited for residents to be able to get out and experience some of these in-person events returning. Of course, um, we urge everyone to follow all health and safety protocols that are in place and, and make sure you're checking before you go anywhere. Um, but I know it's January uh, we're all, you know, starting to get a little worn out with the winter. It's been like really cold. We haven't seen a lot of snow. The holidays are over. We're like, all right, now I'm just counting down to spring. But even as the temperatures continue to drop, there's a ton of really cool stuff to do in Cleveland this winter. Um, so if you're, you know, looking for somewhere to go with your family, somewhere to take the kids on the weekend, you know, winter breaks are coming up. If you're just looking for a, a change of pace, We've got some really cool options. Um, one of the top favorites here in Cleveland in the winter is tobogganing at Millstream Run Reservation. Um, it's such a unique experience. If you haven't gone, you've got to go. You've got to take the kids. If you don't have kids, go as an adult. It's still super cool. Um, but that's a perfect choice for all ages. It's a winter favorite here. It features two 700-foot refrigerated ice chutes. So even if it's not snowing, if, you know, the sun is out. If it's cold, you're looking for something to do to get outside. It's a great option. And that's running through early March. So that's a great way to get out, really enjoy the great outdoors, uh, get out of the house, maybe have the kids burn off some of that energy. Um, <laughs> if you're looking for another way to get the kids to burn off some energy, Wade Oval Ice Skating. You know, we talked about University Circle is such a, an important cultural hub here in Cleveland. Um, it's a perfect winter weekend activity. So you can hit the ice over there and then check out some of the things that are over in University Circle. So you can head to the Cleveland Botanical Garden, the Cleveland History Center, Cleveland Museum of Natural History with the family. Um, check out some of the amazing restaurants that are over there. So it's a really good way to, to get out of the house on the weekends, um, maybe see a part of Cleveland that you don't visit very often and uh, get some fresh air, which is much needed this time of year. Oh, yes, absolutely. Jen Brazdovich, Destination Cleveland. Give them the website one more time. Head to thisiscleveland.com. And if you check on our events calendar, you'll find all sorts of things that are happening. Um, we highlight some of the upcoming big events that are happening, you know, later this year. Besides NBA All-Star Game, we'll have the Tall Ships Festival back this summer. So don't worry, guys. Warmer weather is on the way and there's a lot to look forward to. Um, Front International, the Cleveland Triennial for Contemporary Art will be back later this year. And um, in late August, we'll be hosting Tennis in the Land here again. So, um, you know, okay. we've got basketball, we've got football, we've got uh, 
baseball here as far as major sports teams, but tennis is making a really big comeback too. And we're excited to be able to host that tournament here later this year as well. Awesome. Well, Jen, we thank you for your time. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Sounds good. The most trusted name in journalism, Klops Clips. All right, Ken, here we go with the news you need to know, but probably don't. Woman from China says her family was trying to find her the perfect match, perfect guy. Introduced her to 10 men. Whoa. Her fifth date wanted to show off his cooking skills, so he invited her to his place for dinner. This is a blind date. I don't know that this is, this is already, I got some red flags here. Yeah, not, not good for a first okay. date. So anyhow, during the meal, she found out that her date's community went to a swift and sudden zero-tolerance quarantine because of COVID surge. That is apparently something that's routinely imposed in China. So the woman was stuck at her blind date's house for four days. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, my gosh. In case you're wondering if this has a Hallmark movie ending, the woman posted on social media during the quarantine, quote, well, besides the fact that he is as mute as a wooden mannequin, everything else about him is pretty good. Despite his food being mediocre, he's still willing to cook, which I think is great. I don't know. I think you might uh, want to <laughs> hold off that particular social media post till after you get out of the guy's house. I'm just saying. He's as mute as a wooden mannequin. Yeah. That's, wow. I'm going to have to remember that one. That's great. And, yeah. So... Watch for those sudden and swift quarantines. A Maryland family thought they heard odd noises outside their home around 3.30 one night last week. They called police. Cops came and found no problems and left. An hour later, moans, moans could be heard from inside a wall. Police were called again and an unknown man was found trapped in the chimney, possibly trying to break in. Oh, Firefighters had to punch a hole in the brick wall above the fireplace. Photos show legs dangling inside the chimney. <laughs> After three hours of work with lots of dust and debris filling the home's living room, the man was removed from the chimney. He did have some serious injuries taken to the hospital. No word on charges in that particular situation. But I, I know there wasn't a name mentioned in this story. This wasn't Santa Claus, was it? No. No. Okay. That's no. good. You would have been a little that's late, good. I think. Yeah, I would say but, so. Uh, yeah. I, I hope that guy at least goes back and cleans up that family's house. I'm going to break the chimney. Mess. I mean, that, how upset would you be if you had this really nice house and this guy got stuck and then they got to bust up your house? That would yeah. be rough. Yeah. got to pay for that, man. Yeah. Well, the Portland Pickles minor league hey. baseball team, they ran into a little problem on social media. Last week, they let their dill pickle mascot, Dylan, take over the team's Twitter page. The next photo on the feed was cropped in such a way that it could be <clears throat> misconstrued as uh, inappropriate. Oh, boy. <laughs> Four minutes after the questionable photo was posted, the team made another post saying, quote, we have ended our mascot takeover. It's come to our attention that this photo can be misinterpreted as a disturbing image. Dylan would like to go on record as saying he was trying to give his fans a thumbs up. You can probably figure out what that 
photo look yeah. like. Twitter users aren't buying the picture as an accident, though. The team tagged the tweet with Oscar Mayer, Corn Nuts, and Manscaped, among others. Oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, boy. Conspiracy. Yep. Conspiracy over Dylan. Not yeah. good. Yeah. Not good. I, I'm going to uh, be very careful of how I crop my photos as we wrap up this week's collection of Clops Clips. Another edition of This Week in Cleveland Sports. That only means one thing. We bring in our famous professional, Dusty Sloan. And Dusty, I think we have a good one. I know Ted does a lot of research for these. But to bring you back, I know you weren't born at this point in time, but it's January 14th, 1951. The first NFL Pro Bowl at the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. The American Conference beats the National Conference 28 to 27. And the MVP is somebody that you know very well, Otto Graham of the Cleveland Browns. Dusty, what can you tell us about this contest and what did Otto Graham do in this game to become the MVP? Well, the really cool thing about this game, fellas, is uh, first of all, the first ever Pro Bowl, you would assume it would be as close as it was, 28-27. Now, I haven't been able to find the box score for this game, unfortunately, which Seems quite odd for me to not be able to find something like that. However, I've got the rosters in front of me, and if, if you take a look at some of the players that played in this game, it's not surprising that it was as competitive as it was. Guys like Tom Fears of the Rams, Marion Motley of the Browns, Doak Walker of the Lions, Chuck Bednarik of the Eagles, and you just keep going on and on and down this list. Like you said, Otto Graham, Emlyn Tennell from the Giants, a great cornerback. Um yeah, Charlie Connerly, quarterback for the Giants. The names just go on and on and on. Luke Rosa played in this game. Norm Van Brocklin played in this game. So it, it, it was for being in the Pro Bowl. It's not like what it obviously is right now where guys don't want to get hurt. and It's basically flag football. This was a really good way to start playing the Pro Bowl for the NFL. And uh, uh, Otto Graham was not the only Cleveland Brown person, uh, not – uh, I'm, I'm including more than players here. He wasn't the only one from the Browns organization involved in this game, right? Oh, it's, I mean, you just look at these little, little lists. My goodness, Marion Motley, Max Speedy, Bill Willis. And it, the names just go on and on and on. And obviously not surprising the fact that the Browns won the 20 or the 1950 world's championship. Tony Adamley played in this game. We mentioned Otto Graham and it's just on and on. Lou Groza, Weldon Humble was a guard. Obviously, if you win the world's championship, you're going to get a lot of guys like that. And they were well represented that day. Oh, no doubt. And one thing, you know, we certainly know about a lot of the more recent quarterbacks with the Browns. Obviously, that would be the likes of Bernie Kosar and Brian Sype and things like that. But Dusty, for a quick 30 seconds, Otto Graham, I mean, let's be honest, has the most accolades and probably is the best quarterback that would has ever played for the Cleveland Browns. There's no question about it. And people, obviously, as more time goes by, forgets how good Otto Graham was. But you look at the list. Obviously, he's a Hall of Famer, seven-time All-Pro, five-time Pro Bowler, won three NFL championships, won four AAFC championships, was the all-1950s team quarterback. So when you talk about excellence, and no matter how much time goes by, you have to put Otto Graham on that list. Well, the thing that stands out to me, Dusty, 
not just players wise, player wise, but I see here where uh, the coach for the American All Stars is uh, Paul Brown. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't the it wasn't the same as uh, it is now, where the loser of the conference championship game co- coaches the Pro Bowl. They obviously wanted the best, of the best there, so that's a pretty good choice. Pretty good choice. Dusty always known for his uh, understating of things, right, Ken? Well, I, I mean, there's not much you really could say about Paul Brown. I mean, it's just, you know, it's it, it's tough to uh, to put some words to him sometimes just because of how great he was. Well, Dusty, thanks for your time. Great to talk about the first NFL Pro Bowl back from 1951 where the MVP of the American Conference over the National Conference was 28 to 27. Dusty, thanks for your time. Always a pleasure. Cleveland! This is for you! Ted, it's time for one of your favorite segments. You can really buy this. Uh, In the past, we've kind of gone through some different things for Christmas. We've talked about stuff that you and Erica could do to celebrate an anniversary, places you can go. Well, today, I know Valentine's Day is around the corner, and I want to certainly help people find the right gifts or maybe the right card, because sometimes a card says everything, you know? I mean, let's be honest, you and I have been around our significant others for a while, and after a while, you don't know what to get, but a card kind of says everything you need. So I found, I'm going to call this Valentine's Day Gold, of okay. some different cards that I think people need to jump on board with to say, I love you. I want you in my life for Valentine's Day. So here uh-huh. we go. I have about three or four here that I think would be oh, absolutely perfect. I thought about you in particular. Uh- <laughs> First card, you are the love of my life and a pain in the rear end. <laughs> like that says it all right there. Yeah. That says it. Okay. Another card I found, you light up my life like hot sauce. You light my butthole up. Oh. <laughs> no, you would like that. <laughs> oh. The other one I thought was very appropriate. This is kind of Star Wars related. Yeah. Yoda only one for me. <laughs> okay. Another, I love naps and bacon and you. There you go. Nothing says about anything better than that. So far, that's my choice. I was leaning towards the Star Wars one, but that one that one sums it up. And one of the final ones that I found, it's more of a picture. Okay. Where the card itself says, I love you. Uh-huh. And it's a picture of a man vacuuming. Think about that. Oh, oh I that's thought that good. was outstanding. So that those is, are that is really good. Those are some things to get you ready for Valentine's Day. I know, you know, certainly that that always jumps up on us. But uh, don't forget to get the card. You are the love of my life. Yep. And a pain in the rear end. Yep. You know, certainly you light up my life like hot sauce. Like hot sauce lights up my butt. Yoda one and, for me. Uh, uh, Yoda, Yoda one only one for me. I know that's the fan favorite. So. 
So there you go. I'll probably have more. So I think we'll have another show before Valentine's Day. But yeah. I just want to kind of get the juices flowing for many different people to get some ideas. As uh, once again, you can really buy this. Oh, no, not a dad joke. What's the difference between in-laws and outlaws? Between in-laws and outlaws. I don't know. Outlaws are wanted. <laughs> that joke was horrible. That is pretty good. Well, we're wrapping up episode 82 middle-aged men in Cleveland. And before we go, Ken, I found a list that the TSA shared last week that I thought would be appropriate for us to share here on the show. This is the annual TSA list of some of the oddest confiscated items from 2021. Oh, this is outstanding. This is, oh, this, this is, this is great. Yeah. This is stuff that the TSA found people trying to carry onto an airplane in Atlantic city, New Jersey at the Atlantic city international airport. They found bullets hidden in deodorant, <laughs> Newark international airport. They found a pistol hobby international airport, Texas. They found a meth burrito. Oh, meth okay. burrito. Honolulu, a firearm buckle in, oh. at the Harrisburg international airport in Pennsylvania. They found a cleaver. Oh, just throw it in there. That should be good. Yeah. We'll be able to take this. Yeah. At the uh, Fort Walton Beach uh, Airport in Florida, bear spray. Mm. Not good. Yeah. Reagan National, Inter uh, Reagan National Airport in Washington, D.C., a machete. <laughs> How do you think you're going to get that on? I don't know. We just throw it's it in the bag. Yeah, this should be good. Syracuse Hancock International Airport, New York. Fireworks. Oh, <laughs> that's uh, we'll light up the sky with that one. Oh, gosh. Uh, Sacramento International Airport, a gun themed wine holder. Oh, my. I could see where you'd make that mistake, but you got to yeah. use better judgment there. Yes. And finally, at New Orleans International Airport, someone attempted to take on board a plane, a chainsaw. Maybe they're filming a movie. I, yeah. Maybe that's what they're trying to do. I just got to take these trees down. We're going to just put this in the seat next to me. That's yeah. that's my chainsaw. Chainsaw. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow. That's classic. There's another group that should write a book about what they find. We got nurses. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, yeah, there's some there's some good stories with that. A, a friend's dad was a police officer in Cleveland at the airport, and he always had great stories and wound up with a lot of confiscated stuff for sure. <laughs> so. Well, another two weeks and we will be back with another show and we're working on a guest. We're not going to share that guest's name right now. It is a secret. It is a secret. Primarily because like we don't deodorant. Yeah, we don't we don't have a guest yet, but we're done. Oh, did I say that out loud? No, <laughs> I have no idea All what right. you're talking about. All right. Well, I'm sure we'll have a guest of some kind in a couple of weeks. So until then, Ken, uh, have a great two weeks, and uh, may the snow not be with us, I guess. Yeah, no kidding. Let's uh, mitigate that. I think our backs are hurting enough. And Ted, just as a reminder, we're just two middle-aged men in Cleveland. Two Middle-Aged Men in Cleveland is sponsored by Westminster AV. 
custom audio-visual packages for all occasions.